Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. And I know we're a few days in, but a happy new year. It's something we all do once in a while, but it's a practice that seems to be increasing these days. And some folks apparently make a hobby out of it. I'm talking about complaining. A few weeks ago, just before Christmas, the Sun newspaper reported that the producers of Mother Goose, a Christmas pantomime that was playing in Cheltenham, had to pull a song because apparently it made a negative comment about vegans. While some agreed with the decision and supported the complaint, others insisted that comedy is comedy and we shouldn't be so sensitive. In Australia, the Perth News reported on the five most complained about advertisements of 2023. Apparently, 214 complaints were made about a TV commercial that showed some children stealing fried chicken from each other. Those who complained said that this glorified socially inappropriate behavior. And then the Psychology Today website reported that people who constantly complain can alienate those around them and harm their own emotional and mental health. Without realizing when it all started, we can become serial complainers. The toast is too crisp or soggy. It's too cloudy every day. The people we work with are incompetent and our family just isn't living up to our expectations. When we look up information online, we consider whether a product, a service, or an on-demand workout routine is heading high in the ratings. And perhaps we scrutinize the one-star rather than the five-star ratings. And even if there are no ratings, we perhaps enjoy delving into the lengthy negative commentaries, the complaints provided by other complainers, rather than considering the smiley face compliments of those who are easy to please. You see, to sum up, Moving from the dark to the bright side of life, it can be so easy to slip into constant complaining as a habit. And of course, all of this affects churches as well. So tonight, let's think about complaining. I think that I might be turning into Victor Meldrew. Remember him? Victor, for those who don't remember him, he was the poker-faced and eternally grumbling, complaining misery who staggered from one calamity to another in the now discontinued one foot in the grave. His capacity for ineptitude was only surpassed by his legendary ability to complain. His catchphrase was, I don't believe it. For the ever-clucking, tut-tutting Victor, Life was nothing more than a series of continuous irritations, all of which he both expects and yet is seemingly surprised by. He seemed convinced that someone somewhere was plotting to mess up his life, hence my terror at the thought of becoming like him. Victor definitely affects others around him. His wife suffers long because she lives with him. I commented to my wife Kay recently that as a preacher, I sometimes get fed up with the sound of my own voice. She smiled and said that she understood completely how I felt. But there are other obvious parallels. Many Meldrew-esque mannerisms manifested themselves during a seven-day trip back to England recently. Now, I love being at home in England with its rolling green hills, real old pubs, bad-tempered landlords and petrol prices that require one to take out a mortgage before filling the tank. 
But the ever-worsening traffic jams do cause me some disquiet. Actually, they drive me mad. Road congestion threatens to turn me into an atheist and a miserable one at that. Twice in two days, I sat fuming on the M25, surely a highway that is an artery of Satan, fingers drumming on the steering wheel as I crawled tortoise-like through yet another set of roadworks. Having travelled two miles in two hours, I muttered my frustration to absolutely no one in particular, the car being empty saved for the omnipresent God and myself. My prayers that the juggernaut in front of me be removed and cast into the depths of the sea went unheard. I was irritated more than I'd like to admit. Of course, we all have those days, but being irritated and constantly complaining can become an addictive habit. Some of us have apparently made a life choice to be frustrated and even offended right from birth. If we could have, we'd have slapped the midwife who delivered us. Life before birth. It was just so much simpler. What you had to do was bob around in the warmth of the womb, suck our thumbs occasionally, smile for the scan photo, and entertain the folks outside by occasionally kicking our mothers from the inside, of course. Easy peasy. And then one day, you take a short, neck-twisting trip whereupon some medical vandal cuts your food tube off at the navel, tips you upside down, and smacks you until you cry. And the irony of it all is that one is required to celebrate this day of pain with cake and cards every year thereafter. Madness, to be sure. When we look at life like that, we become a Meldrew whose dying words would probably be a breathless complaint about hospital food. So how do we get delivered from the spirit of victor? Surely one answer is to realize that Christians aren't promised that they'll escape the boring bits of life. They do get colds, bank statements with red numbers, sore feet, and yes, delayed in traffic. It's not all part of a dark plan to bring us down. It's, it's just another day of life. And surely another help is to compare our tiny skirmishes into irritation with the really vexing and indeed heartbreaking challenges that others around the world face. Being held up on a car-jammed road is a small price to pay for living in a situation where most of us have enough food. Phil Collins, the singer, he's absolutely right. Most of us spend life, in comparative terms, in what is another day in paradise particularly in a world that now has learned the meaning of words like tsunami and terrorist. So when we're tempted to go into emotional meltdown about something trivial, shouldn't we actually stop and consider that perhaps it's really not such a big deal and pause to pray for those who face real terrors? We certainly could do worse. Ultimately, endless complaining, griping, it's a waste of life. We can live our whole lives quite literally with one foot in the grave. Is that the way we're supposed to be? I don't believe it. I know. I should be able to fix a flat tire, but when God was handing out gifts of practicality, which includes the ability to repair, build, or assemble absolutely anything, apparently he passed me by because I'm useless. I own a toolkit which looks new, mainly because I've never figured out how to use any of the tools, with the exception of the hammer. Obviously, 
I know what that's for, silly. It's for hitting one's fingers while taking aim at a nail. Penetrated by a rogue shard of glass, the tire exploded and deflated in seconds. My wife and I paused the marital hymn singing that we usually engage in while driving, and I turned to my wife a composed smile on my face. Darling, I do believe we have a flat tire. Let us praise the Lord for the opportunity to rejoice in this minor but undeniably irritating development. She nodded an amen. Sadly, nothing like that actually happened. We weren't singing hymns, and I didn't respond with such grace. I growled something unrepeatable, pulled the car over to the side of the road, and wrestled with the temptation to invite Kay to change the wheel while I, of course, would support her in prayer, seeing as I am so practically useless. The wheel jack was a six-part contraption that required assembly and was designed by a mad engineer, so I decided to abandon any possibility of fixing the problem myself and reached for my mobile phone to call roadside assistance. A grueling 27 hours later, actually it was two, but it felt so much longer, a smiling, practical-looking chap arrived, assured us that he would change the tire in a jiffy, news that created both envy and gratitude in me, but then asked if I would assist. Cars are speeding by here, Mr. Lucas, he said. You got a flat in a dangerous spot. While I change the wheel, could you help me by slowing the traffic down? I shelved the protest that I had not actually chosen to have a puncture in a dangerous place and instead walked 10 yards down the road and proceeded to try to convince fellow motorists to temporarily limit their speed. This was accomplished by holding both hands out in front of me in the posture of a diver, then waving them down together. I smiled while waving, trying to communicate that my signal was a request, not a command. The reaction was mixed. Some kindly obliged and applied the brakes. Others seemed bemused by the sight of this strange chap who was apparently worshipping them from the roadside. But there were those who reacted by doing the opposite of what I was asking them to do. They sped up, shook their fists, and some even yelled a few expletives as they raced by. Apparently, I had committed a cardinal offence. I had asked them to delay their progress by a maximum of two seconds. The blue touch paper was lit, igniting phosphorus rage. They were offended. Their gestures and gesticulations expressions of complaint. Some of us go through life perpetually on the edge of being offended. We become picky people who live just beneath our skin, ready to be upset if someone so much as threatens to put a kink in our day, if the meal takes five minutes longer to arrive, if another driver cuts us up, if the sky is sullen grey, our faces turn to angry red and perhaps we're going to complain and let the world know about how we feel. And it happens in the church too. I've met Christians who've apparently been offended since birth. Sometimes I wonder if there are people who enjoy sniffing out potential error and inconsistency and seem delighted when others fall. I've even known some to assume the demeanor of a victim, which is ironic given that they're the ones who engage in bullying manipulation and snarky complaining, creating actual victims everywhere they go. 
The chronically offended go through jobs, churches, friendships, and even marriages like knives through butter. The sound of crunching eggshells around them is deafening. People tread carefully, eager not to stir the sleeping giant. It's surely a miserable existence. Back on the roadside, I continued my frantic waving, but I learned some valuable life lessons from the experience. Don't look for opportunities for irritation. When they arise, and they inevitably will for all of us in possession of a pulse, stay cool. If we enjoy complaining, let's ask ourselves why. And when we're tempted to rush into it, maybe we should pause for thought and perhaps even for gratitude and thanksgiving, surely an antidote to endless complaining. And and a further word of advice, if you own a wheeljack, read the instructions right away. As we've been considering complaining, I mentioned earlier how often churches are destroyed, friendships are irreparably harmed, and marriages disintegrate because some of us are so good at being bothered about things that don't really matter, like the Israelites of the Old Testament who allowed a man to divorce his wife for burning a mill. Too many of us spend our lives armed to the teeth with a magnifying glass, making minutiae massive. Molehills grow to Everest-sized proportions because of our obsession with having things done the right way, which usually means our way. Woe betide the unfortunate offender who says the wrong thing, looks at us the wrong way, or does anything to mess with our Sinatra-like determination to have life my way. We cover our tracks by kidding ourselves that we're perfectionists, but just to be blunt, Perhaps better words to describe our behavior when we're in the compulsive, complaining, and offended zones would be selfish, immature, or arrogant. And we Christians, we really can take pickiness and complaining to an Olympic level. Not many churches get into conflict over major issues of doctrine, but if the drummer plays too loud on Sunday morning, the version of the Bible used is not my version, or God forbid, someone actually rearranges the chairs or relocates or removes the pews, then the Third World War will likely break out. Sometimes I wish there was a Bible verse that said, lighten up, my people, or chill out, says the Lord. Perhaps the closest thing to that is Jesus' rebuke to the Pharisees because they gave their attention to what didn't matter while ignoring what was vital. It was like picking gnats out of their drinks but gulping down camels. We read about it in Matthew 23. The book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, has sold millions, and rightly so. We need to save our perspiration for what counts and perhaps identify in ourselves the necessity and need for complaining and being offended. So, have a happy and more grateful week. Lucas on Life.